0: And Merry Almost Christmas. Is, is it just me? Yeah, you know, I, I so I wrote that literally. I I wrote that. See, y'all think I'm weird. Well, I am weird, but I actually write a lot of stuff that I say, and people find that really strange. They go, I thought you were just like off the seat of your pants, kind of. No, I actually thought through that. <laughs> Which would? Can you imagine if I didn't think through it? Could you imagine what we might, uh, what you might get on a Sunday morning? But is it just me? I felt like we started Christmas. July. I don't know. Did, am I the only one? Are y'all out there? Are y'all mad? Are y'all angry? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I really, I just thought we started really early. Now, I'm not that guy. You know, I know mean, there are a lot of pastors out there that, you know, get angry. A lot of Christians get angry. I, we're starting early. It's just the commercialization of Christmas, and they don't care about Jesus. I think it's awesome because we as followers of Jesus get to insert, we get to tell them the meaning of Christmas. I think it's a great thing, don't you? I actually do, but I just think it's weird. I, who remembers, who's old enough to remember when you didn't start Christmas till after Thanksgiving? Why, this must be the really old crowd. That has nothing to do with the message today, but I just see there, that's not in my notes. Got a little scary. Karen always gets nervous when I get off my notes. So interruptions, um, interruptions don't usually happen at the most convenient time, do they? Like it's always at, at the most inconvenient time. Uh, consider the timing of, of Joseph and Mary's interruption. Mary and Joseph, life is sweet. They in love. Uh, you know, plans to get to get married. Everything is really, really good. Good engagements. So I've been told, uh, you know, Karen was a planner, so we got engaged and it was like forever before we got married. And, and so that was a good thing for her, not such a good thing for me. I'm ready. What, what do we need plans for, you know? But good engagements, engagements that go really, really well, take time. They, they really, really do. They're well thought out. But it wasn't quite that simple for Mary and Joseph. In fact, during the engagement period when, uh, when Joseph Actually, his job as the groom, his job as the uh, prospective husband, his job was to actually go prepare a place. And when I say go prepare a place, sometimes that would literally be that he would go and build a home. He would have somewhere for him and his, his wife to be. And, and so he's off doing his thing, and, and uh, you know she's waiting you know, for, for, you know, for the home to be ready. And then suddenly this angel appears to Mary, And tells her that she will miraculously, as a virgin, can you say that at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning? As a virgin, conceive a child. And it ain't just any child, but she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit if she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Now that's the interruption right there, wouldn't you agree? That is an interruption. Interruption. And it's an interruption, and I mean, like, how how is she going to explain this little interruption to Joseph? So maybe she could have said, she could have said, now, Joseph, I need you to sit down. I have some really, really good news. I'm like, it's awesome that you're not going to believe. I'm pregnant. And, And here's the thing, I haven't been cheating on you. I have not been, you know that you and I have been pure, and I've still been pure, and so I, I, I'm pregnant, and, and it's by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give birth to the very Son of God. What do you think? Come on, man, y'all must be way too, you know, churchy or something, I mean, because that's like, if you could put yourself in Joseph's shoes, what in the world, what a story, Who's going to believe a story like that? Joseph's plans for a happy little home with the woman that he loved, that were crushed. And her, her life, as well as his, had been powerfully, I, I wrote this, and every time I, I look at it, I think, Ugh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I said maybe even <clears throat> rudely interrupted. if you think about if you'd been them like maybe joseph would have said like now like now of all times when we're literally into the engagement period i mean maybe before i mean why now of all the times in the world why why now can i just say that uh, we're not if we're not careful our response to an interruption can if we're not careful take us down the wrong path and this little interruption almost took Joseph down the wrong path. I mean, when he discovered he was pregnant, he was devastated. Well, of course he was. It's not like Mary could say, now Joseph, you know, remember this happened, this this happened to our neighbor. Remember? Remember, she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> remember? And like she gave birth. <laughs> this had never ever happened before in history. This was like brand new. And it, it never happened, it hadn't happened since. It was just that one time. And he's devastated. And he, he doesn't really know how to handle the news. He's not sure what to do. It's a bit too much. And just so you know, because we don't get this in our day, in our culture, but an engagement, a betrothal back in the day, it was It was binding. And actually, the only way out of an engagement, technically, you had to go through a divorce. And technically, he literally could have had her stoned to death for infidelity. He doesn't want to do that. Can you imagine what's going through his head? Maybe he's thinking to himself, I thought I knew her. No, I do know her she's she's quite the girl that's why I was drawn to her she's not like any other girl that I've ever met she's honest and she's trustworthy and she has a relationship with God there's integrity here with her but she's pregnant I don't know what to to do with all this and so he decides that he'll divorce her privately he doesn't want to make a big deal out of it he doesn't want to embarrass her and he though he can't quite wrap his brain around it, he his human response, that is his human response to a supernatural interruption. I love the Christmas story. And one of the reasons that I love the Christmas story is because it's just one interruption after the other, isn't it? I know that we somehow, I'm not sure, romanticize the whole Christmas story and we have the nativity scene in our head, which you know is wrong. That'll that'll hurt your feelings, won't it? When you find that out, you go, what? Wise men weren't there? Nope. About two years later. It's true. Mary and Joseph had a divine interruption. The innkeeper, remember the innkeeper from last week? Maybe it was just an interruption to the perfect business day, something he had planned for, something he had prayed for, something he had asked God for. And now in the middle of an answered prayer, and the shepherds, the shepherds who were out in the field doing what shepherds do, they were just being shepherds. And they had a pretty over-the-top kind of interruption. Let's pick up their story in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor over Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. And then in verse 8, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the field. If you grew up in church, you still have that shepherds abiding out in the field. Do you still have that language, that King James language in your head? Yeah, I do. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. So here's 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 the part of the message where I'm supposed to tell you about shepherds. Well, let me just tell you what one scholar wrote. One scholar wrote this. Alexander Shia wrote this. To smell like a sheep. Y'all with me? To smell like a sheep was the mark of shame. Well, that's what you're supposed to hear. I've said it myself. I've, I've said it probably from this stage. I've talked about the shepherds just in that context because, I, I mean, I read scholars like this. He, in fact, he went on to say, he said, when you smell of sheep, everyone knew that you were to be avoided. So you're to be avoided if you smell like sheep. If you're a shepherd, nobody really wants to be near you. And then based on that very same thought, another author wrote, but God chose to announce the birth of his son to the smelly outcast. There you go. That's the word. And, and for years, that's exactly how I've thought about the shepherds, that they were outcast, that, that they were smelly, that nobody wanted to be near them, that they were on the low end of the social ladder. outcast shepherds, and even sent angels to invite them to see Jesus. And it's awesome because that's the place where I'm able to look at you and say, and God, why would God do such a thing? Why would God uh, announce the birth of his son to these shepherds? Because God wanted the lowliest of the low to know about his birth. And no matter where you are on the social rung of the ladder, no matter who you are, no matter how low you may think you be, it's a great message, isn't it? Preach it. But honestly, and I told y'all this a few weeks ago when I started to process this, I got really confused. It's not my first time. I didn't know that that was that funny. And I got to be honest, I still may be a little confused. And so I thought this morning I should bring you into my confusion. So you ready? You ready to be confused a little bit, mess with just a little bit? So after doing a little more extensive, extensive research, I learned that shepherding was like one of the oldest. I don't know why I said like. It's the oldest profession in the world. Shepherding is the oldest profession in the world. Adam was charged to have dominion over the animal kingdom, Genesis 126. Ha! I bet you never thought about that, did you? Well, I hadn't. If you did, you're smarter than me. I'm a little slow to kind of get on the bandwagon. And Abel, literally, Abel is called keeper of the sheep in Genesis 4-2. But if you start to process this, they're not the only ones. Moses. Moses was a shepherd. How about King David? A man after God's own heart. Where, where do we find him in the story? Where is he in the narrative, the biblical narrative? He, he's a shepherd. He's a pimple-faced teenage shepherd. He was brave. He killed the lion and he killed the bear. But he was a shepherd. These are some pretty noble, well-respected, high up on the spiritual ladder kind of shepherds. See it started to mess with me when I started to process it outside of maybe tradition maybe maybe outside of what I'd heard my whole life and this is really going to get you this is really going to get you how about this thought you all ready it's pretty big is it possible that the shepherds is it possible that the shepherds could have been women you're thinking, you are some crazy liberal. Where are you coming up with this stuff? I mean, when have you ever seen the nativity scene and the shepherds were played by women? Never, right? Well, I'm not a crazy, I'm crazy, but I'm not a liberal. I'm just crazy. So let me show you some fascinating verses from the Bible. How about this? Y'all ready? I'm having fun, are you? I just think this is awesome. And I love it when we actually start to investigate the story And look at actually what the Bible has to say. So let me show you some fascinating verses. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was a shepherd. You don't think so? Genesis 29, verse 11. And according to Exodus 2, verses 16 through 21, all of Jethro's daughters, including Moses' wife, Zipporah, they were all, they were all shepherds. I'm not making this up. Now you're thinking, what commentator did you read there? I literally just read the Bible. No kidding. Just read it. It's it's pretty plain. Then how about the young Shulamite woman in the Song of Solomon? And if you're brand new to church, you need to read the Song of Solomon. I'm just saying, you're going to read some stuff in there and go, that's in the Bible? Woo! I'm going to start having devotions with my wife every night from the Song of Solomon. I'm just... It's pretty awesome stuff. Anyway, that's free. Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If you don't know, oh, beautiful, oh, most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tent. Ha! So I'll bet you've never considered that these shepherds who appear at the manger could have possibly been women. Anybody is like anybody, me neither. How sad are we? and it is a little sad. It is a little sad that we just buy into a story without doing any investigating. That is a little sad, and then it's fascinating. It's fascinating for me when I read this, and I really, I mean, I've spent probably more time on the women part than you might think because I thought, really? And then I started to investigate, and then I started to look, and I thought, you know what? There's, there's more here than meets the eye. In fact, Believe it or not, I read this, that in the Middle East, shepherds are culturally most often the young girls of the family. Unless there are no daughters, which in that case falls to the youngest son. And this writer says, in parentheses, like David. Now, to be fair, I also read this. It was mainly a job for solitary males. Without children and new shepherds, thus needed to be, and thus, like, makes somehow thus. Thus. It's like it's biblical. Thus. If it had a V in there, it would have sealed the deal. Thus needed to be recruited externally. Shepherds were most often the younger sons of farming peasants who didn't inherit any land. And I got that right off of Wikipedia. And that's no lie. So you can take biblical evidence and some other scholarly folks, or I guess we could just get it off of Wikipedia. But let me tell you, this, that's not really why the whole thing started messing me. Really, what started the whole thing with me was shepherds. And our view of shepherds, can I just be honest with you? It had to do with the Bible study that our small group is in. And we started this, this Bible study by Louis Giglio, and and, and and it's about the 23rd Psalm. And I couldn't get past, I, honestly, I couldn't get past the very first line. Y- y'all know what, the, even if you're not, like, in church, if you've never been in church before in your life, you've probably heard the 23rd Psalm, for the Lord, y'all help me, is, and you know what? I thought, what? Whoa, hang on. Outcast of society on the lowest end? Hmm, uh, it was a shameful, shameful. According to one guy, it was shameful occupation to smell like sheep would have been shameful. And then I read this and I thought, Oh my gosh, if we got it wrong, the Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. And then John 10, and these were just some statements that I just pulled out of John 10. Jesus, I am the good shepherd. And you, you realize that when when these people that he was speaking to when they when they heard the words of Jesus that he said I am the good shepherd, you realize that brought them great comfort. Not not a single person said, Oh man, I don't want to be close to you because like you stink, you smell of sheep. You you got us all over you and you. All of our mess, all of our sin, all of our nastiness, you got it all over you. There was never a thought of that. When, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I'll tell you what I do. I will lay down my life for my sheep. See, they connected to whole, the whole idea of being a shepherd and what it meant to protect and provide for, to be a nurse and to be a doctor too, that you would give your life for the protection of, for the betterment of these sheep. connected with these people he said you know what, my sheep my sheep know my voice and I know my sheep, this intimate relationship between a shepherd and sheep that all sheep look alike, I I, I mean I don't a sheep is a sheep is a sheep and not to a shepherd he knows his sheep he knows the wounds on each head He knows everything they've been into. He knows those that tend to wander off more than others. It just messed with me. Shepherding, based on my study, was actually a very noble occupation. I'm just saying. But there is a downside to shepherding. There's a downside to shepherding. And shepherds had a hard time maintaining, according to the Pharisees, religious purity. And, and that got me. I thought, so, a bunch of church folks, a bunch of religious professionals decided that they had a hard time. They would have a hard time remaining, maintaining religious purity. And, and there's actually a very practical reason for that. There's a practical reason for that because they couldn't keep the Sabbath because they had sheep who needed constant attention. Sheep aren't real smart. I've read that over years. I've never gone to a circus and seen trained sheep. Have you watched the sheep jump through the ring of fire? I've never seen that. Have you? Sit. Have you ever seen a sheep? Has anybody ever looked at a sheep? Sit. heel. Heal. You don't, you don't see it with cats either. I'm just saying. The shepherds, because of these sheep, they spent a, a, a huge amount of their time out in the field, away from society, away from society, and they had no influence to speak of. They were, in our terms, they were they were just blue collar workers who were unnoticed by the people in power. Shepherds were said to be in the lower classes of society, not because they weren't respectable people, but because of the job itself. So what do we know about these particular shepherds? I think that's the question. So we kind of get past the whole idea, wait a minute, maybe I've been misled the whole time and maybe I've been led to think of shepherds in a particular light when, when really maybe maybe that's, maybe that's not even right. So what do we know about these particular shepherds who were out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flock by night? Well, I read that somewhere deep in Jewish tradition was this belief that the Messiah would be revealed from from the Jewish community. They believed that he'd be revealed from what was called the Tower of the Flock. Now just hang on. The tower of the flock stood close to Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem and the sheep that pastored there, they weren't ordinary sheep. In fact, these were sheep that were meant for sacrifice. You're brand new to church, you go, you've already lost me, I don't even know what that means. So let me tell you what that means. Once a year... Once a year, the priest would take a lamb. It had to be a pure lamb, a spotless lamb. No, no spot, no blemish. When you looked at that lamb, you said, man, that lamb is perfect from head to toe. And they would take that lamb, and they would slit the, the throat of that lamb. They would take that blood and pour it into a basin. They would offer that blood on the, on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And, and they had to do that every single year. So y'all with me? And so there was, there was this group of shepherds that that the Jewish community was looking for, they said, you know what, this this group of shepherds is going to watch over these particular sacrificial sheep. That was their job. And this is so, so cool. Let me read this to you. This author said, these, and I notice these next two words, I just think they're awesome. He said, these priestly shepherds, and that messed me up again. Y'all with me? I, it messed, the whole Christmas story now is getting messed up. Wait a minute. I thought the lowly shepherds, and they were there, and they were stinking. Maybe they were off to the side. I know the nativity scene has them up close. Maybe Joseph said, you boys got to, you know, can y'all, like, to the back of the bus maybe? I'm like, you stink. And suddenly I'm looking at this story, and i went, wait a minute. These priestly shepherds kept watch over the flock day and night, and when one was ready to give birth, She would be brought to the tower of the flock, and there she would give birth. And then again, he repeats, these priestly shepherds would inspect the newborn to look for any defects. And they would determine if he was worthy to be a sacrifice. And then they would take and wrap the newborn, they would wrap the newborn, this newborn little lamb, this perfect lamb, they would wrap that newborn in swaddling clothes. You can't make this stuff up. It's awesome. Isn't it an awesome story? Oh my gosh. It's amazing. So an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds who were just out in this field, who were actually out in this field doing what shepherds do and they were being looked down on by the religious community because they didn't go to church enough. But they they were looking after these very, very special, sacrificial Lambs And the glory of the Lord Shone around them And they were terrified Of course they were I mean, They used to being out on their own They weren't used to company They certainly weren't used to a large number of people But the angel said to them Don't be afraid I bring you good news That will bring great joy for all people Today in the town of David A Savior has been born to you He is the Messiah, the Lord This will be a sign to you And you will find the babe wrapped in cloths And he is lying in a manger And the angel said, I bring you good news. Good news. So exactly what is the good news? Well, those two words that mean good news are are the word that we translate gospel. And it's good news or good story. That's literally how you would translate that word. And the angel says, I love this, he says, I will bring you good news that will bring great joy. And so, like, if there's anything about the Christmas story that is not good news to you, that's not great news to you, then I'm sorry because people like me, somehow we've messed it up. Maybe some preacher, maybe some nosy, snobby Christian neighbor. I don't know that weirdo Christian person that you work with. Somehow we messed up that story. Maybe we messed it up because we got more caught up in tradition than we did the actual story itself, and maybe we forgot to tell you what the good news really is. And he, then he said, "He said it's good news. Check this out. It's good news to who? All people. It's not just church people." It's not just churchy people. It's good news. It's good news to all people that will bring great joy. It's awesome. So what is the good news that will bring great joy? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus. Jesus. It's like you're just here kicking the tires of Christianity kind of thing. And so it's Christmas, maybe somebody invited you to come see a family member, a child on stage or something. And so you've just been kind of here, you're just kind of checking things out. So what why you know why would that be good news even for you? Well, according to John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave. He God so loved the world. And just so you know, that word world there, it's a Greek word literally means the triple X-rated world, the worst. the worst. I mean, think of all of the perverts and whatever, murderers and thieves and whatever you can think of. I just want you to know that when God gave his son, that's what he was giving his son for, that kind of of world. And then it says that he got so loved the world that he gave. And I think even if you're brand new to church, you get that, don't you? That makes sense. That's what people that love do. They give, right? How do you know if somebody really, really loves you? Because they give to you. They give you their time. They sacrifice for you. If there's a need, you know that at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can call that person. Because you know what? You know that person would give to you. That just makes sense. But you might be wondering, well, but are you sure that that like includes me? Because I'm not always very lovable. Well, John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever... And do you know what whoever means in the Greek? It means whoever. There's no distinction in whoever. None. Doesn't matter if you're as innocent as a newborn babe or you're a 90 year old with a life of sin in your wake. And you got more junk than you can shake a stick at. In fact, most of the people would look at you and say, There's no way he could ever, there's no way she could ever. Get to heaven. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You are a whosoever. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction. You are a whosoever. And I told you, that's just like awesome news. But then I think here's where it gets confusing. Because John 3.16, like, is it's a verse that everybody knows. And so then it says, whoever believes... And I think that's where we get confused because we use that belief, that word belief, for a lot of stuff, right? I believe in Santa Claus. That's what a lot of people are saying this year. I believe in Santa Claus. I believe. But John puts a couple of Greek words together to make a very strong point. In fact, he takes a preposition, a preposition that means into or toward. And so he used this, prese- this preposition to say, I'm going to lean into something. I'm going to lean towards something. I'm going to rest on, if you will, something. And when he did this, according to scholars, he created a brand new thought for these Greeks. The, these Greek readers, the, these Greek folks had no concept for the word trust. They had no concept for that at all. And so he, he comes up with this brand spanking new idea Which says, "Whoever leans into, whoever believes toward, whoever puts their trust into." And I think that when it comes to church, we just messed that word up. This is an awesome stool. I'm glad that didn't fall apart. That would have been really embarrassing if I had picked it up. And it's an awesome stool. Uh, I like the color of this stool, don 't you? It kind of go kind of goes with i mean that 's the way we roll around here. You know what i 'm saying um it 's got four legs it's it 's made of some kind of metal i mean this ain 't no cheap wooden stool metal stool. I can stand here and I can tell you that I believe in this stool. I can describe the stool. I can tell you where it's made, who made it. I can go through every bit of that. I can stand over here and tell you how awesome the stool is. But if I'm standing on my own two legs, then I don't have any belief in the stool. See, I have to actually come over to the stool. Lord, don't let this fall. I actually know the devil really well. And I thought, you know, this will be the first time the stool will fall. No, I believe in this stool. I'm putting my weight. I would stand on it, but I'd probably fall. I believe in this stool. My trust right now is in the stool. Now, that's a big difference between standing over here and telling you that I believe in the stool, that it's a cool stool. It's different. So here's what John's saying. And this was the good news that was announced to the shepherds. It could have been women. We don't know. You weren't there. John is saying, if you will put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you will lean toward this truth that what Jesus did on the cross was that he actually gave his life, because that's what people that love do. The Bible says greater love has no man than this, than one who would give his life for another. We get that. And it wasn't just that he gave his life, there was purpose to him giving his life. He was... Remember the, the little lambs, and they had to be a little lamb, and had to be sacrificed every year, and it, it sounds horrible, it sounds gross, sounds inhumane, but that's what they would do, and they would take that lamb. And then Jesus in John 1, if you go back and read the Gospel of John, John, very first chapter, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. You know what he tells his, his disciples? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And he said, hey, we don't have to do, I know the sacrificial system said we had to offer a sacrifice, we don't have to do that anymore. And so we don't have, to, we don't have to, to kill lambs anymore. We don't have to offer their blood anymore. we have to do that because he's the Lamb of God. And his blood will wash away all sins for all time. All our past sins, all of our present sins, all of our future sins, my sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for them all. Is that awesome or what? That is like the best news. I have the best job in the world that I get to share that with people. I saw a lady this week. I saw a lady this week. I had the opportunity to look at a lady this week and share with her this good news. And to say, he loves you. And I watched this lady give her life to Jesus. It's to believe that he died. It's also to believe this, and he ain't dead. Y'all out there? He ain't dead. I don't know if you know or not. What you feel right now, it's not me. I'm not that good. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is here right now, and He's speaking to you. And maybe as a follower of Jesus, maybe what He's saying to you is, you know what, you got to take this thing more serious. Are you really? Are you? Do, do, I mean, do you really believe in me? Do you? Then trust in me. Put your life in my hands. Surrender your life, all of your life to me. Don't stand over here and talk about your belief Lean into, lean toward, put your trust in. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe the whole Christmas story has just been confusing to you. Maybe it's been confusing because you've known too many of us so-called Christians. And we just kind of messed it up. And if that's the case, I am so sorry. Because the good news is still (laughs) really, really, really good news. Maybe you didn't know that until this morning. And all the pieces kind of come together for you. And so what, God, so maybe you've, what does God want from me? What does He want from me? Like, to become a Christian, what does that mean? It means that you believe all the right stuff about Jesus, that He was the Son of God, that He went to the cross, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and on the third day He was resurrected. But listen, belief in, just belief in that's not enough. Not in the way that we use the word. So you're not a follower of Jesus. What do I have to do is put put your trust in him. To say, Lord, from this day forward, to the best of my ability, I want to lean toward. I want, I want to put myself in your hands. I want you to carry me. Forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. But that's because it's really good news is that whosoever so if you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be every head is bowed and every eye is closed <coughs> no one's looking around you're not a follower of Jesus but you'd like to be then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this maybe you'd say God I just had no idea I never really stopped to think about the story I never stopped really to process it. I didn't understand that it was really, really, really good news and that it was good news for me. Somebody like me. A sinner like me. But I understand. I I don't understand at all. But to the best of my ability, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. And and I want to place my life in your hands. I want to believe in. I want to lean toward. I want to trust in you. Lord, thank you. um, Lord, this has been a, a great Christmas for me. Father, just as a speaker, a communicator of the gospel. Lord, that you've been able to show me stuff that I didn't know. No, I'm so sorry, Lord, that, you know what? I just didn't investigate enough. I didn't dig enough. Thank you for the beauty of your word. <clears throat> Thank you that we can trust in your word. We can lean into your word and find the truth about you. Thank you for these wonderful, beautiful shepherds who were just doing what shepherds are supposed to do. They were serving you. And in the middle of their serving you, they got a divine call. That is awesome. So, Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. Lord, I pray that each and every day, Lord, that we will just make a difference in this community. Lord, with this 25 days of Christmas stuff, it's not a gimmick. Lord, it literally is to be able to go into this world and just to love people and to be givers, Lord, the way you've given to us. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.